the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And so today, I want to talk a little about the emotions that you and I might feel that we know we want that, but we want it in the life of another person, and it's not there yet. And so what emotions do we go through? Because that's what Paul is going to go through. When I read this portion of Scripture, in a way it seemed a little dry, because it's Paul did this, Timothy did this, you did this, we did this, it's kind of this and that back and forth. But when I read it more deeply... I really read the words that a man wrote to another group of people that was exposing his heart. Now, for you men that are leaning into this, when you hear the word emotions, you almost shut off and you think, well, is he going to give a woman message here because when you hear emotions? And men have a hard time with their emotions. Uh, what would you do today? Work. How was it? All right. You know, and that's about it. That's our emotions. If we do exude emotions, it's probably in two areas. One is going to be anger, and the second will laugh at crude stuff. And that's how men are. But I want you to know that deep within our own heart, though, we do have an emotion that's there. And that emotion can come out in ministry as well, and you can touch a life with your life as well. And I pray that today that this message might impact you. Now, I don't know where you are with your journey, because we're going to talk a little about ministry. Ministry and minister are very similar. The word minister means to serve. Ministry is service. And so whenever you think about serving in ministry, you think about other people. Now, for some of you early on this, your ministry might be right here in this church. You have a ministry in this church. You are on a committee. You're on a team. You have a designated responsibility. Others of you, your ministry of serving others will be at work. You do something at work. You want to influence them for righteousness to add value to their life. Some of you might be in your family and some of you might be with your friends. But wherever you might be, I'm just praying really that now, you're at a point that you're saying, I just don't want to exist. I want to thrive and I want my life to count for other people. And so that if you do, then you can identify a little bit more with the emotions that I'm about to share with you. So we can simply say, because we're all ministers and you and I are that, we all experience these following five feelings that you're going to, to read about here in just a moment. Now, one thing I like about church especially is that it reveals to us how much we really enjoy being loved. And I know you might think that sounds very selfish, but really we do enjoy being loved. All you have to do is kick it around the other way when you know that someone doesn't like you or you're neglected or forgotten. You know the pain that you might feel. So we do like to be loved. The second thing about church, we, need, we learn that we need to know how to love people. How do we reach out and to touch them? And then finally this is that within our sphere of influence, whether it's at church, at home, on the job, at school, neighbors or friends, we all do know at least one person who is in desperate need to be loved. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to reveal someone in your mind right now that's out there that is 
desperately in need of love. And you know how you can tell usually the people that need the most love? They're the ones that are hurting the most. And how do you know a hurting person? Very simple. Hurting people hurt people. So if there's someone in your life that is bringing hurt into your life, it's probably because they are hurting and they need love. And maybe the passion that you might gain from this message might help you to focus on them in some way that might encourage them as well. So I selected from this passage because it was quite simple. Five simple little emotions that we might have in a ministry or an influence in serving other people. Let's look at the first one. And this one I call the emotions of intense longing. It's where we really long for that other person. Look at the verse here in verse 17 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. It says this. But we, brethren, so speaking to those who know Christ as Savior, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart though, but in presence, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Maybe you'd like to circle the phrases, endeavor more eagerly and with great desire. When I read those two together, it's talking about someone who very much desiring to reach out and because of intense longing for that person, wants to get back to them to really hear how they're doing. And I got thinking about what does it mean to have that intense longing? Maybe in the, in the area of food, you have an intense longing. Have you ever been on a diet for, say, nine months or more? And you and your friend, for whatever reason, you drop by Leonard's and you just love those malasadas. How many know where Leonard's is and have had some of those malasadas? Whether you get it with the coconut, the vanilla, or the chocolate in it, because I think we have a lot of chocolate holics here. We're going to use chocolate. So there you are at Leonard's with your friends, and he orders a bunch of those malasadas, and they're in the box, and they're just warm, fresh, 6.30 in the morning, Leonard's malasada. For whatever reason, he leaves you with the box, and you, he goes to the car, and you're holding the box. At that moment, you're having an intense longing for that malasada. He can't miss just one, all right? Well, that's kind of corny, but maybe some of you have another intense longing. You're in the world of competition, whether it's competition because you're on a team or maybe you're just a competitor in sports yourself. And maybe you have an intense longing to succeed or achieve or to win, we might call it. And you know what that feels like. And some of you might say, I've never played ball and I'm not a competitor and all of that. That may be true. Maybe it's as benign as to have someone to your home and you're playing a table game. Have you ever seen some people that could not get into competitive sports compete in a table game on Thanksgiving? And I'll let that alone. All right. So you know what it means to intensely long and to win. Now, as much as I would give you some earthly pictures of intense longing, that is nowhere near what Paul is saying. His is so much more extreme than that. Because whether you fudge on your diet, excuse the pun, or whether that you're out there winning some particular game, that's all temporal, it's here. But the kind of intense longing he's talking about is the longing that he has for someone else's life to be so different, so better, so that when they go to heaven, they stand before God and will receive the richest of their rewards, that they care about this person's spiritual development to the fullest. So my question to you is, have you come to a point in your life where you have that intense longing for your mate that no matter the cost, you'll give up everything so that they can become more and more like Christ and be all that God wants them to be? And you can take the word mate out, child in there, parent in there, friend in there, whomever it might be, but are you at that point? And I pray that we as a church would be that desperate for God and that desperate for other people to be that desperate for God as well. Well, if you have that in your life, 
I think we might want to look at now, how does that grow? How does that happen? What, what fuels all of that? Well, let me give you four of them right here. This desire for intense longing grows out of a time when we're torn away from people. In the passage of Scripture, we're looking at the Apostle Paul, who was so desperate for those people to have a right relationship with God, but he intensely longed for them because he was torn away from them. Look what else it says. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in your presence. Circle the word taken away. It doesn't mean he just waved goodbye to them. It was that he was torn away from them. Now, in today's time, we don't feel the pain of being torn away. Even if you're in military and should you, should you be stationed overseas, maybe even in, as far away as the Middle East, yes, there'll be times that you're on patrol and yes, there are times that you're locked away from communication. But there is still some time that you can have some time to get to some type of communication piece to get information back to your family. They didn't have that in those days with Paul very easily at all. So when he was saying goodbye to them, he knew that his link to them to in some measure influenced them. He'd be torn away from them. And I can feel that intense longing that he might have, knowing that he might not be able to be with them. Now, I don't know where you are, but you might come to that here. Some of you might be called away from this church, maybe because of a military move, maybe because of business, maybe because your time in the island is now over. Will you have that intense longing for the people that you've ministered to? I think so, for most of you. And that's what he said. Now, maybe some of you, you, you can't picture that because you've been on island. You've been here a long time. You grew up with your friends. In fact, you're living in the same house your parents lived in or maybe your grandparents lived in. For you, maybe the illustration would be this because our church is salt and peppered filled with educators. Can you remember maybe looking out your window, teachers, and you saw a child going to elementary school for the first time and it's his first day and watching the parent and the child have to separate for that first time the intense longing that the child had for the mom or the mother had for the child that might have happened. I can only imagine what it's like to watch families see their loved ones sail away or fly away for not weeks but months to a dangerous unknown not ever knowing when or if they'll come back or even how they'll come back in what condition. And so I'm thinking of that intense longing and all of that is valid people. But I want you to know that we need as Christians to take it up one more notch. As much as we want to see them, life isn't purely just about them here. It's about them being all that they can be in the Lord. That's the sign of a mature Christian, being torn away. Ministry is like that. Second time would be times when we try again and again to get to them. It's a little bit being torn away. Now it's okay, we are away, but we want to get to them. Look what else the passage says. But we, brethren, endeavored more eagerly, eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, and underline this, time and again. That's going to be a time where we want to see them again and again and again and again. I'm thinking of those of you who've had the privilege of going on a mission trip now. And you've gone maybe for a week or two weeks to a particular mission field and those people on the field that you were with, that you ministered to, that got under your skin and into your heart. And now you had to leave, so you're torn away. But you think about them and you write them letters and you hear back from them. But in your heart of hearts, you're saying, oh, but I'd love to go back to those people again. I don't want to go once. I'm going to go multiple times to those people. That's what Paul is saying. I want to come back. Do you know what we're blessed with here? I'm talking more of staff and those that work in the office during the week. 
is that not only do we have people that have been in this church, that have been ministered to in this church, and that have ministered to us in this church, but have left the church to go to the mainland, but they always want to come back to Hawaii. Who wouldn't? But when they come back to Hawaii, most of them always want to come back to see this church. So whether they come on a Sunday morning or they come up these stairs and they greet our staff up there, they want to go back to the people that impacted them because their lives were changed by this ministry right here. It is absolutely huge. But that's happened because there have been people in our church here that have decided to invest their life into other people, not just come to church on Sunday only, but to make a difference with people who would make a difference. But here's a third time. Time when you really are torn away and you want to get back, but you feel like Satan has stopped you. You're really there. You're, you're tracking with me right now, but now you're saying, but pastor, I did all of that, but I could not continue my ministry effectively in their life because Satan stopped me. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, but we brethren endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, and here it is and underline it. But Satan hindered us. Now here are two statements you could take to the bank. The first one is this. Satan will stop us. There are times that we will want to get there. We believe it's the right thing. We'll want to reach out and to touch them with some biblical value. But somehow Satan has stopped us. Now let me just pause for a moment because it happens so quickly it's not even in my notes. I could only imagine for a moment our young people and those that were working with our technology this morning they wanted to do something that would be so excellent for the Lord because it was all about worshiping Him and knowing they had a responsibility in some measure to help you worship the Lord. And they were serving you and this team that was all together doing this. And then the technology went down for a few minutes this morning. Did you happen to see how many people came forward to try to fix that? That was the greatest altar call we've ever had here, I think. You know, <laughs> Pastor Charlie, you know, it's a great thing. But my point still is this. They were torn away. They wanted to get the project done. But Satan did stop them. But now I want you to remember statement number two is this. Statement one again is, Satan will stop you from time to time. But watch this. Satan will never stop God. Would you write that in your notes somewhere? Satan will never stop God. Now the technology went down for the first song. The rest of the songs were a little, you know, not very clear and smooth because they had to go to plan B. And they did a great job doing that. And God got the victory. But even then, there's a greater lesson in all of that. And you know what that is? That worship with the Lord is still just as authentic with or without man's technology. Do I hear an amen on that? So again, Satan may try to stop you. And times he will. But Satan will never stop God when we're desperate for him to be in control of our life and to use us however he wants to in the life of another person. Well, here's the fourth one, because sometimes when Satan stops you and you still want those people's lives to change, there's times when you can stand it no longer and you do something about it. And let's look at the verse. When you can stand it no longer, what do you do? It says, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it'd be good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, would you circle that, St. Timothy? There are times that the Lord may end your ministry in another person's life formally or in an organized fashion. Your ministry of prayer will never end. Your ministry of trying to get letters and emails and stuff to them might not end in most cases if they're within ability to receive it. 
But that doesn't mean that other people can't come into their lives to change them. I'm reminded so many times in Scripture that we might look to the great Apostle Paul for what he did, but one of the things the great Apostle Paul did was influence others to influence others to influence others. And I tell you, we are living in a Christian world now. I know it's a secular world, but there's a Christian world out there with enough technology that the people we love, in some measure, we can still touch them with biblical truth even when we can't personally do it. Are you tracking with me? Listen carefully. But it will only happen if within our chest beats this heart of intense longing for that person to be desperate for God. That's why he said, we sent Timothy. So for you and for me in all of this, what do we do? We do what we can do. We try. We don't stay in this paralyzed position that, yeah, we want them to change, so I'm just going to let go, let God, somebody else take care of them. No, we try to do what we can do. Now, I don't know how that's going to flesh out. It probably will flesh out through your personality style. It certainly will flesh out through your spiritual gifting. It'll flesh out through your abilities, your experience. But in any way, it can do that. Now, what happened with Paul? What did he do when he had that intense longing to resolve those issues when he sent Timothy? Look at the two operative words there. And maybe these words are words you can work with. He sent Timothy to do two things, to strengthen them and to encourage them. It's interesting he didn't send Timothy necessarily to correct them, to teach them, nor to warn them necessarily. But he did go there to strengthen and encourage them. And so I think most of all, that was what Paul wanted, was their life to be changed. So that's emotion number one, intense longing. For whom do you have an intense longing that they would be a fully devoted follower of Christ? Number two, the emotion of fear. Now, I have to be honest or or accurate with you. I don't see fear as clearly in here. So maybe another word could be the word concern. I could, could extrapolate that out of this passage. But maybe for some of you in ministry, you do have that emotion of if there's something that you're afraid of, you're concerned about. See if you can pick it up in verses 3 and 4. It says this, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. That's where I get the concern. He's concerned that nobody should be shaken or he is fearful that anyone would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. Now, folks, I can tell you being in the pastorate for 30 some years, ministry can be very scary at times. And there's a lot of things that we could feed that fear with when God says not to. But if there was two concerns that I have in ministry for me, and maybe for you, from this passage alone, would be these two. And these aren't the only two, but in this passage, these would be two. One would be the fear for others that they have fallen. That you pour your life into these people and you want them to go on for God. And something happened where that they bought into the world system and they had fallen. And that can happen to anybody. How many of you can go down memory lane, you that have been in ministry, you've influenced others, you poured your heart into them, and now they have fallen into, because of temptation or affliction or persecution or they've fallen away. Now, they didn't fall out of salvation if they're a Christian. They just kind of fell away from that intimacy, that desperation for God. And they're just not even desperate for God. They're not even desperate for Christian fellowship, let alone God any longer. 
How many of you know someone like that? Would you raise your hand? Okay. That's a concern. Sometimes I wonder if you don't even have that concern yet. Maybe there's something you need to look at. But I'm not here to put you on guilt. Just a checkup, that's all. Fear of the fallen. But here's the second one. Fear for yourself that you have failed. I think one of the things as a pastor is that I don't want to fail God in this calling I have. I don't want to fail God in shepherding you. I know that I am a man. I, I've, I've got um, a human man, that kind of thing. And uh, I have flesh just like you do. Now I can stand clean before you. I have no moral impurity. I've not wiggled around with the finances, nothing like that. But you're going to make leadership errors. The higher up you are, you're called upon to make a lot of decisions. You think you're doing right. You misspeak. You misremember. You, you push the thing. You manipulate. You do whatever. You have those times in your life. And so you're so fearful of that because you know that if you're in some bit of influence, whatever you do is going to de-influence, if I can use that word, misinfluence someone else that's out there. And frankly, you and I who do that, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of that. And there is a concern that that might be the case. So what happens when you have this emotion in ministry and you want to influence your kids, you want to influence your mate, but you're afraid that they're going to fall after you spend all of this time building into their life or you're afraid that you're going to fail, what do you do? I will tell you what the natural response is and I'm preaching from me now. You just want to give up. You just don't want to try to do ministry any longer. You just want to stop trying to help people to be desperate for God. You just want to go out and do your own thing and you know, not go into sin, but just go into... That's the word I want to say. Just life, you know? And forget about all the struggles and stuff that you have out there. I've come to this conclusion, though. Paul struggled with the people he worked with that failed. He struggled with his own personal failures at times in his life. But he never gave up. He said, I finished my course with joy. And so I thought, well, if Paul, with all of his struggles, and he was a dominant leader, the best I can tell... I imagine he made some leadership faux pas, mistakes as well. I'm sure that he would go back and do some things differently. He's wrapped in flesh and he said that. But he didn't quit. So maybe a picture for you might be this. And it's a very real picture if any of you have ever gone snow skiing or snowboarding. You get up at the top of this thing, and a hill thing, this mountain, and you're looking down and all of a sudden you have a choice. Now, how do you get down once you're up there? It's a scary thing. Many years ago, I was speaking in Colorado, Denver, and the conference was held at Winter Park. It's a ski resort just outside of Denver. How many have ever heard of Winter Park? Anybody? Okay. And so I'm the, I'm the guest speaker, and so the first morning you speak, that afternoon you go to the slopes, and then you take a lesson in skiing. And I thought, man, I'm a surfer. I can ski. Well, how, how hard can this be, you know? And they said, you've got to take a lesson. So I took my lesson for like two hours at Winter Park. And then it got dark. And that was the end of the lesson. And we're all back on the bus going back to the, the conference center. And I thought, I didn't get a chance to ski-ski, you know. I did. So the next day, speaking in the morning, have lunch. You go to the ski thing again. And now because I'm the speaker, they tell me, you go first. I don't want to go first. I don't want to go last. I don't even want to do this, all right. But you have to. The speaker, you've got to do this. And... And, it, and I, sometimes I struggle with people pleasing. So go, go, go. All right, all right, I'll go. So now I'm on this ski lift. 
and my skis are dangling here. And I'm thinking, now what did they tell me yesterday to do? How do you, how do, you do one of these things, you know? It's, I forget, snow plow at your skis. How do you do this? And you're, getting, and you're seeing that soon when you get up there, you have got to ski at least a little bit to get out of the way. And I'm saying, what if I fail? What if I fail? What if I fall? And I self-talk myself. And as soon as I got to the top and you jump off, not five seconds later, I fell. Now, I just didn't fall. I fell so badly. And I was so stuck in this snow. And now the lift keeps coming and there are people behind me that are right up. And I'm, I'm crawling away from the ski chair. It was so bad that they had to shut the entire ski lift down until I could get out of the way. I have not skied since. <clears throat> But that's a very scary thing as you look down and you think, I'm going to fail. I could fall. What does work for me is this. In surfing, when you get the little bit bigger waves and you're out there, it's flat and the breezes are blowing. And then when the swell starts coming in, the swell comes in and the breezes stop because it's like a mountain, five, ten feet. And some of you guys, I'm looking at Randy and Eric and a few others that surf the bigger waves. So it's there, and so it's kind of like real calm, and then you come up, and now you're hearing the roar. You're in there, and you don't want to mess up with any of the local boys to get them all rattled, you know, so you're waiting for your wave, you know, and that kind of thing. And you're afraid of falling. But what motivates you is, even if you do fall, it's that moment that you are flying down that wave. It may last two seconds, but that keeps you going. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.